The scripture reading tonight is from Ruth, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And it came to pass in the days when the judges judged that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malin and Chilion, came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. And Malin and Chilion died, both of them. And the woman was left of her two children and of her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that Jehovah had visited his people in giving them bread. And she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. Jehovah deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt, dealt with the dead, and with me. Jehovah grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Nay, but we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope... If I should even have a husband tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye therefore tarry till they were grown? Would ye therefore stay from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes, for the hand of Jehovah is gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people, And unto her God, return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, and to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, I will die, and there will I be buried. Jehovah do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, she left off speaking unto her. The word of the Lord. there's anything wrong with nice. I prefer it to cold, harsh, dismissive, arrogant, and mean. But I think as Minnesotans are particularly familiar with, nice often implies a sort of neutering, something bland and white and surfacy, and more often than not, something fake. I mean, I probably want 
my husband Jim to be nice to me. But I'm not even sure because there's something about nice that seems so different than the depths of intimacy, where there are sharks and sunken ships, and of course, many treasures. Nice is obviously different than disturbing or disruptive. A nice day doesn't include a thunderstorm or lightning. I for sure prefer kind to mean, but I just might prefer difficult or dark even to nice. Must be such a relief as a Sunday school teacher going through the Old Testament when you get to Ruth. Just when it seems like you'll never have another story without some raging violence, floods, siblicide, fratricide, rape, battles, mayhem, a thousand men killed with a fresh jaw of an ass, you can breathe a sigh of relief. There's not a single gruesome incident in the book of Ruth. My God, it's like another world. And it seems so pleasant. So Ruth is presented as a very nice little book indeed. A story of friendship between women, what could be less threatening or disruptive or disturbing. So Naomi, a Hebrew woman, marries a man who takes her to a foreign country because there's a famine in the land of Israel. Her sons marry women from that foreign place, but the husbands and the sons die, but not gruesome or violent deaths. Naomi decides to go back home to Bethlehem when there's food, so she tells her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, they should not come with her because they will be unwelcome foreigners there. And she's too old to provide husbands for them. She can't have any more babies, and even if she could, would they marry the little infants? Neither of the daughter-in-laws want to leave Naomi, but Orpah sees the sense in staying home in her own country. Ruth refuses to leave Naomi. But when they get back to Bethlehem, they're poor widows, and they have to figure out how to eat and how to live, So Ruth goes into the barley fields of a Boaz, a wealthy man, and he ends up liking her. And even though he's a bit old for her, Ruth considers him for a mate in order to provide security for Naomi. As one children's version puts it, and eventually Ruth married Boaz and everyone was very happy. The end. It's a very nice day, la-dee-da. We should think of ways that we can be more loyal to our friends. We should have the children's make friendship bracelets. The sky is blue, the flowers are blooming. But the thing is, there has been an earthquake. The way things are supposed to be, the orderly universe has suffered a seismic rupture. This story rumbles with subversive energy. And I wonder how the history of interpretation has made this shocking little book seem so demure.
it's not like the disruptive details are all like hidden under the surface, though I think there are some there too. They are plastered almost aggressively, visibly. Apparent, one would think, even to the casual eye, boom, Ruth is a Moabite. Moab was the son of Lot and his youngest daughter, who got him drunk and had sex with him. Naomi and her husband voluntarily left the promised land to live among heathen idolaters, Naomi's sons married foreign women, and not just any foreign women, Moabites. When Boaz sees Ruth in the field and asks his servant who she is, the servant says, uh, she's a Moabite from Moab, lest anyone miss the Moabite thing. And the law, every good Hebrew or even not that good Hebrew would know in no uncertain terms, makes Moabites anathema. Deuteronomy 23.4, no Moabite may enter into the community of God. None of their descendants, even in the 10th generation, shall enter into the community of God. No Moabite ever will ever enter ever. And Moabite women, they were so bad, so reviled for what was perceived as their sexual waywardness, lascivious, seductresses, all of them. Some midrash on Ruth deals with this by saying, yes, most Moabitesses were lascivious, but Ruth was so modest. This is what makes her worthy. One rabbi writes, all the other women bent down to gather barley in the field. But Ruth sat and gathered. All the other women hitched up their skirts in the field. She kept hers down. All the other women jested with the reapers, but she was reserved. But honestly, the whole Ruth was so modest thing doesn't really hold up when you look at one of the most significant episodes in her adventure how she ends up getting together with Boaz. So it's like harvest time, and on certain harvest nights, I guess, men go to the threshing floor, and they celebrate the harvest, and they eat a lot, and they get drunk, and they go to sleep there instead of going home. Hosea the prophet rants against the harlots who haunt the threshing, the threshing floors. So that's probably a thing. But so in order to get with Boaz, Ruth dresses up one of these nights, puts on perfume, and sneaks through the night to the threshing floor, waits till Boaz is drunk and in bed, and then she lies down with him, uncovering his feet, which you may have heard in the Bible can be a euphemism, euphemism for the rumpy pumpy, <laughs> hanky panky, feeding the kitten, knocking boots, making bacon, sex. One way or the other, not probably modest behavior. Boaz wakes up and is momentarily panicked to find a woman with him. Naomi, who was part of hatching the plot, had told Ruth, 
When Boaz wakes up, just do whatever he tells you. Well, as it turns out, there will be none of that. When he wakes up, Ruth tells Boaz what to do. He wakes up startled. Who are you? And she says, I'm Ruth. Spread your robe over me. This seems a little bit racy. It's also actually a proposal of marriage. Ruth proposes to Boaz. That is not no way ever the way things are done in a patriarchy. Demure, modest, it's shocking. A nice story about harmless female friendship. Actually, there was a whole generation of scholars much smarter than me who saw Ruth as a recasting of certain incidents in the saga of the goddess Isis. No kidding. Because there are similarities, apparently. Or as a Hebrewized version of the Eleusinian mysteries, with Naomi and Ruth representing different aspects of Demeter, who was creator, preserver, also known as the Barley Mother. Or as a historicized version of the epic of the Canaanite goddess Enat, queen of heaven and mother of all gods, The Jerusalem temple was occupied for centuries by both God as we know him from our tradition and this goddess, variously known as Queen of Heaven, Asherah, or Mari. Artifacts surrounding the worship of some of these female goddesses are some of the oldest known to humankind. I mean, I don't know if these scholars are on to something, but it does seem to me that to portray the book of Ruth as nice might be to neuter it, spay it, make it bland and trite and surfacy. Before the rise of the world's major patriarchal religions, the, religions, the creator was more often a creatress. This makes sense. No one ever saw a man giving birth. The Judeo-Christian scripture and tradition has very often and very thoroughly in this name of monotheism been very, very, very set against any traces of these ancient creatresses. I mean, I guess it's understandable. And maybe the intent was to point towards something beautiful and true, not actually to undermine women standing in the world, make them subservient to men, not actually meant to prevent women from acting independently of men, from owning their own property, earning their own money. Didn't mean deny women the natural rights of every other mammalian female, the right to choose her mate, and to control the circumstances of her mating. Didn't mean really to suppress women legally, politically, economically, and psychologically, so that patriarchals patriarchal religion's gatekeepers would for hundreds of years and still in some places oppose women's education and still in some places refuse to ordain women in accordance with God's will. But whether there was any malevolent intention or not, whether it was just good men in service to a larger truth, 
scripture is pretty thorough about excising any glimpse of the creatress. In our founding narratives, the man doesn't come from the woman against all biological probability. The woman comes from the man. And as it turns out, she is the primary transgressor in what would have otherwise been paradise. And throughout the history of the church, much is made of Eve's sin. In fact, the church fathers would claim that Eve's original sin was perpetuated through all generations by every woman, woman through sexual conception and birth giving. The, church's, the church fathers' horror of female sexuality and their conviction that all women deserve punishment for the primordial crime that brought death and damnation to men has shaped the world. I mean, okay. Okay. You know, so they really didn't like the ancient creatresses. Fine. But really? This is a little over the top, doesn't it seem? There are two books of the Bible named after women. There are 39 named after men. One of those books is Ruth. A woman who some have argued bears traces of the goddess. At any rate, she certainly exerts control over the circumstances of her mating and marriage. Maybe let's don't diminish it by casting Ruth as a nice little book about modesty and friendship. Ruth follows Naomi, and it is her loyalty to this woman that will bring her into the community of God. There is no question that Ruth unsettles the order that she joins. So should we all. She disturbs the established legal and socio-cultural laws. She crosses the lines. So should we all. The scholars who saw traces of the old goddess in Ruth theorized that the reason a Hebrew story would ever adapt some of these foreign myths was to create a mythological, an epic backdrop for the ancestry of David. Because, see, this is the freaking, crazy, beautiful, wild thing. No Moabite may enter into the community of God. None of their descendants, even into the tenth generation, shall enter into the community of God. No Moabite ever will ever enter ever. And yet, Ruth gives birth to David's grandfather, the line from which the Messiah will come. A Moabite woman gives birth to the fruit that will regenerate Israel challenges the boundaries that define the people of God. If there had been, and of course there had been, some fantasies of some pure Israelite identity, Ruth changes that emphatically. She opens the gates meant to keep out difference and otherness. How is that not lightning 
This is a basic challenge of faith. Transform the culture that permeates. Disrupt the dominant paradigm. So should we all. I don't think Ruth is nice, but I do believe the book is about kindness. It begins in the time when the judges judged. When the judges judged, the repetition of the word has a sort of pounding effect. In the time when the judges judged there was a famine in the land, of course there was. That's what happens in the time when the judges judge, when you live in that reality. You can't grow fruit in such a sparse and mean and ungenerous environment. And we live there very often, in my experience, under merciless scrutiny, under a graceless gaze. It's impossible to grow fruit or flowers there. There is always a famine in that land, the place without grace. People starve there without positive regard. It happens all the time. The time of the judges was not a good time for Israel. The people were unfaithful to each other and they were unfaithful to God. There was not a lot of love. In the midst of this scarcity comes Ruth, interrupting right between the judges and the kings. She says, don't ask me to leave you. Naomi, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. She commits herself so thoroughly to a life that will be intimately entangled. One rabbi said, this scroll of Ruth tells us nothing of purity or impurity or prohibition or permission. For what purpose was it written to teach us how great is the need for loving kindness. Hesed in the Hebrew is often translated as love, but the core meaning of the word resists translation. It's the instinct to nurture the vulnerable other. It's mercy, it's loyalty, it's passionate commitment. It is what God feels for God's people. Ruth is a story about loving-kindness, but not as some abstract principle, something that you can never really grasp, like the love of God so often seems to become, but love that is direct, love that is intimate, love that is physically experienced. Where you go, I will go wherever you go. Death buried under the dirt. Some people think that if the creatus hadn't been so suppressed, the world might be less violent and less alienated. I don't know. I doubt it. But I do like Ruth. So beautifully subversive. Amidst the proliferation of masculine images when the judges judged and the men fought and slew each other by the thousands amidst strong men and tall men, Samson and Saul, warring, warring, from the womb of the Moabite woman, whose whole being is loving kindness, comes the lover, eventually, who will
will change the world.